There is a stereotype out there that as you get older, you get um, less passionate and more fearful. Or um, let's try and say that positively. As you become mature, you get more moderate and more sensible, more cautious about risk. So in your 20s, you um, fall in love, you do crazy things. And in my case, you you drive your car like um, car crashes happen to other people. Um, There are exceptions, of course. Piers uh, Corbyn, he's here at the BBC protesting uh, uh, most weeks. Um, He's going to be 76 in March, but no sense that he is becoming more moderate or more sensible. But in general, in general, more moderate and more fearful as time goes on. And we said last week that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint, patient endurance, John says in chapter 1, he is our companion in patient endurance with all that that means. So as we go on in the Christian life, is it okay, is it even expected that the passion will cool and that caution will grow? Well, we're here to listen to Jesus as he speaks to seven churches in what is now modern Turkey and Ephesus They are called back to the love that they had at first. And Smyrna is told not to be afraid. So love and fear is what we're engaging in discussing tonight. Particular issues for the real Christians in those real places. But we said last week, seven churches deliberately to say this is for all of the churches everywhere. So we will be listening for what All Souls uh, has to hear, how All Souls fits into what's said here, where Jesus might say the same thing to us. And that actually, that would be the question to discuss at the end of our service this evening. What did we hear said to Ephesus or to Smyrna that actually All Souls needs to receive and to act on? So tonight we're going to use our, our time three ways. Um, first, there's going to be the pattern. Can we have the, the slide up with that? The pattern uh, of the letters. There's a very definite structure that we're going to need to understand. And we need to know these letters, they are deeply personal and loving, like a letter from a friend. But they also come with real authority, like a command from a king. And then once we've seen the pattern, we're going to look at Ephesus. Don't move on from your first love. And then at Smyrna. Don't fear your first death. Okay, so the pattern. Uh, Look down at verses 1 to 7 and follow through the pattern, which also is going to come up on the screen here. So each letter, it starts with a hello. Um, It's actually sort of massively underplaying what's in verse 1. It says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Or, um, hello, I'm Jesus. And the, the person speaking is reintroduced each time. And each time it's something from chapter one. And it is why we should listen and why he knows what he's talking about. He is so powerful and so close, as we said last week. Then the, the meat of the letter is three steps normally. First of all, I know. Verse two, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. And sometimes it's about their situation, verse 13, I know where you live. Sometimes it's about what's being done to them, verse 9, I know your afflictions, I know about the slander. 
So um, Jesus gives them a, a report. Wouldn't you love to know what Jesus would say about all souls? Um, he, he knows them intimately, each of these churches. He sees through reputations, 3 verse 1, and through self-deceptions, 3 verse 17, I know, he says. And every single time, except for one, what Jesus says about the churches is good. He knows us, and he, he is looking for the good. He's quick to be pleased. It takes two whole verses to say everything that is good about Ephesus. And uh, perseverance comes twice with endurance and not grown weary, which is about as good as it can get for companions in endurance, isn't it? For, for long-distance marathon Christians. We're pushing up the, the 93rd steep hill in the driving rain, not slowing down, still going. Jesus says, I know. I know. Then um, second, every time except twice, uh, there is a but or a yet or a nevertheless. So 1 verse 4, to Ephesus, the endurance church, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, which is what we'll need to think about when we've uh, finished with the pattern and get to Ephesus properly. How can it be that the endurance church, the the not-at-all-weary church, the hard-working, doing-all-the-stuff church, how can they have forsaken their love for Christ? But for now, in the pattern, just notice the sense of shock. And several times this happens in the letters. There'd be a big surprise in it, since it would have been quite painful to listen to this, where a church maybe is expecting quite a good report, but gets orders from the king to make big changes. Jesus, he sees and he knows. He sees the good and the bad. And churches often care a lot about their reputation with people. But what really matters is what Jesus sees, what Jesus knows. And um, Ephesus is by no means the worst shock that we get. In fact, Ephesus is the only one to get a second switch. So um, you, I know your endurance, but you have forsaken your first love. But, verse 6, you have this in your favor. And there's not any other church that gets that kind of second encouragement. So I know, but... And then third, always, there is a response. Uh, Verse 5, consider, repent, and do. Each church is given something to do about what Jesus has diagnosed. So if um, these next three weeks, if we are willing to expose ourselves to the doctor, if we're willing to see all souls in the challenging words of Jesus, well, then he has wonderful medicine for what is weak and sick and wrong among us. And these letters, actually, they are the application of the whole book of Revelation. Um, the, the so respond, uh, it's about, well, one or two verses in each case. So 10, 14 verses, maybe 30 commands in total. That is the application of a book as wild and as technicolored and as vivid as the book of Revelation. You're meant to come back here again and again and again, and once you've, you know, you've really felt the drama of the dragon and the woman and her child, you've watched the war in heaven, you come back here 
and think, okay, now Ephesus is ready to consider and repent and do. And uh, you'll know there are a thousand websites and YouTube channels that will tell you how to interpret the book of Revelation. But unless they bring you back to chapter 2 and chapter 3 and help Ephesus rediscover their first love and help you, me, live the clear commands of Jesus here, well, they're not really helping us with the book of Revelation. Then after all that, um, no, I know, but so respond. There's a section that is very nearly the same in, in every single letter. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's important. It's not just to Ephesus, it's to all. And we are all to listen to it. If we have ears at all, listen to what the Spirit says. And that line um, comes in verse 11, verse 17, and then it swaps places with the next bit, with the overcome uh, bit for the final uh, three letters. So it's listen, and it is overcome in each letter, to the one who is victorious, or to the one who overcomes. And that's there in every letter. It's a bit hard to um, translate, because it doesn't mean victory as if uh, nothing bad will ever happen to you. In Smyrna, the victor's crown goes to those who are executed for their faith. And it also doesn't mean life without a struggle, or life without um, temptation, or life where we feel happy to be a Christian all of the time. It's uh, another uh, long-distance running word, an endurance word, to the one who overcomes whatever hardships we find on the way, to the one who is still running, at the end of their life, they're the victors. So two applications actually in every single letter, every church. Listen and keep going. Keep going to victory. And then um, the pattern ends with the opposite of hello. And I've called that see you, which is probably worse even than hello uh, as a heading. But um, what I want you to remember is each letter ends with Jesus telling you how it will be when he next sees them. Each letter begins with who Jesus is and then ends with something from the last two chapters of the book, from the great moment when the city of God comes down to earth. And that is where the Ephesians will see Jesus next. Verse 7, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So where, where will we meet next? Uh, shall we at Chinese New Year? Shall we go to the restaurant? That'll be good. That'll be fun. You know something good is waiting. Jesus says, see you at the tree of life. Or see you on the day I give you your new name. See you on the day that my father and all the angels will ask, who is that? And I will acknowledge you. See you on that day. So these are great letters. Letters from a friend and commands from a king. So should we come to Ephesus? Point two, Ephesus, which is do not move on from your first love. Don't move on from your first love. So Jesus walks among them at Ephesus and there is so much he sees that he is pleased with. Two different ways of saying they're hardworking, three different ways of saying they've endured and endured hardships for my name. They did it for Jesus. Their lives became painful and shameful because they were with him. And he knows, and he sees it, and he is glad. 
And verse 2, verse 6, they've done that while um, keeping the faith, maintaining uh, only the truths and the practices that they received from Jesus and his apostles. False apostles tried to lead them astray in the Ephesians. They tested the claim and they protected the church. And yet, yet verse 4, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Do you hear the, um, the note of older age? Time, some time has passed here. Ephesus is probably the, the oldest church on the list. It was founded in Acts chapter 18. It's perhaps 40, 40 years old. That's very old, isn't it? 40 years old by the time that this letter is written. And you could look at only what they've been achieving. You could look only at all the hard work and only at the endurance and only at the, the doctrinal correctness and you could think everything here is good. And I think quite possibly the people in the church, they did that. They looked at all the activity and said, yes, everything is good. Um, and isn't it nice to have Jesus recognize everything we've been achieving for him? Do you know in Acts chapter 19, we're told that all of the Jews and all of the Greeks who lived in the whole province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. And that was just in the first two years of the life of the Ephesian church. Just imagine what they did with 38 years more. But they don't love Jesus the way that they did at first. And I I want to make you a a promise during this series. What I, I do not want, do not intend to identify us with any of these churches too tightly. It'd be too easy to build connections out of nothing, and it'd be too easy to sort of beat each other up for faults that may not really be here at all souls. But I do want us to take seriously what we find in each of these letters and to ask whether Jesus might say the same to us. And that's something each of us will need to think about individually. Maybe you'll talk with a, a friend here, uh, pray with others as we weigh up these letters. Certainly, All Souls is a very busy place. Um, lots of deeds, so much hard work. Wonderfully, All Souls has been protected from false teaching and there has been an active, enduring gospel ministry here for well over 70 years that has reached all over the world. The number of people who have heard, Jews and Greeks, in all of the world who've heard the gospel from here. And this letter would be pleased, wonderful, glorifying God for all of those things, but would ask us never to confuse active endurance for a heart full of love. Um, This letter says churches should not get less passionate as they get more mature. Christians should not get less passionate as they get more mature, should not get more moderate and more sensible. Um, There should always be something of the lovesick youth about a church with the Lord Jesus. So um, don't misunderstand me. This isn't a letter saying that you should refuse to sign up for all the things that Ruth asked you to do and instead go away and and focus on your feelings for a year instead. Um, Verse 5 tells you what to do. You should consider, repent, and then do. Do the things you did at first. Um, Deeds, because of love, 
That is the Christian life. That is the, the wonderful thing in the beginning of nearly every letter in the New Testament. Your deeds because of, of love. It's a bit like, though, the way the, the letter to, from James says that faith without works is dead. So here, Revelation 2, 1 to 7 says that works without love are, well, what word would you choose? Works without love are sinful. I think that might be the right word. It's very, very strong language, isn't it? Um, I think maybe if you'd known what we were going to talk about tonight, you'd have been ready for a sort of um, love refresher, um, a sort of love reboot. Um, I asked the staff team, what do they call that in the, um, you know, the, the Sunday magazine of the mirror uh, when it's kind of 10 tips to rekindle your romance? And I'm pleased to say they all denied knowing what that would be called. <laughs> Uh, in the in the sunny mirror, but um, you know, we we'd be ready, I think, to hear that we should work harder at loving Jesus. But look at verse five; it's far more serious than we would allow most of the time. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Do you expect Jesus to use the word repent and do the things you did at first? And actually, there's more. If you do not repent. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, if an individual or a church has fallen from their first love for Jesus, has become steadily more moderate and careful rather than devoted and passionate, then the urgent response is to repent. And there is no future for that church if it does not. That's what I will remove your lampstand means. And then later on in these letters, we'll meet other failings that we might have expected to be church ending. Uh, That's the kind of thing that really finishes a church. But striking, isn't it, for a busy, active, enduring church to be the first one we look at and hear them be told that a lack of love for Jesus, that is the quickest and surest route to there being no real church here on Langham Place in the future. Worth hearing, isn't it, that the deeds and the work, um, that can just go on uh, even after the heart has gone for a while, just flapping and spinning and active, even as the, the reason for it all to exist dies from the inside. And I love the call of, of verse 5. So verse 5 says, repent and do the things you did at first. Um, Jesus doesn't give a list of 10 more deeds, um, we know some of what uh, they did at first in Ephesus. They were certainly passionate. Uh, do you know when they got together all of their magic scrolls and burned them, the, the cost was equivalent to 140 years' wages. Um, do you know they transformed their city so much that all the people who made little statues for you to worship were going out of business and got angry. But actually, Jesus, he doesn't say, let's do another bonfire. Do that and that and that. He says, consider, and then do what you did at first. And I think what's helpful about that is that um, we're all different. Uh, We're all differently passionate. Uh, We'll all have different stories of how we first came to love Jesus. Um, it's, It's not that you must do what I did and I must do what you did. The application for each of us is, what what did I do? When I first began to love Jesus, when I first realized that Jesus didn't need me to impress him, that I was forgiven despite what I was like, when I realized Jesus was with me, 
no matter how bad things were, when I expected Jesus to answer every prayer five minutes after I prayed it, and he did, really, a lot of the time. Um, Maturity is a gift. Wisdom, experience, it can bring a a deeper kind of praying. It can bring a a deeper, fuller love. Or it, it can bring a sort of sneering at the passionate devotion of first love. So go back and remember. Um, if you're a hoarder like me, I still have notebooks from the, the first years when I began to read the Bible, and they're full of lots of nonsense, but they're also full of the, the marks of tears. Go back and do the things you did at first, which is how the, the amazing church of Ephesus, with all the endurance and all the work, can be saved from church death and revitalize to endure more and more and do more and serve more. Um, sign up tonight to do something difficult rather than something easy. But sign up because you love Jesus. I've noticed the bribes on the stores around here. There's toys just over there and there's sweets uh, in a couple of places over there. Um, serve because you love Jesus and victoriously continue serving until that day when you see him standing next to a tree, the tree of life. And he hands you some fruit and says, come, live forever and love me and live with me and know me forever. Okay, well, third, um, Smyrna. And uh, Smyrna is told, don't fear your first death. Um, Now, the the letter to Smyrna, it is one of only two letters here which is entirely positive. Uh, Jesus, he has only positive things to say about them. There's no yet, uh, there's no nevertheless, there's nothing actually to change. So Jesus, he knows them, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Though he wants them to know the poorest prisoner without money or home can be rich in reality, rich in Jesus, you are rich. But Jesus, he knows their situation. He knows what people say about them. He says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, before we misunderstand those words, just remember John, the writer, he is a Jewish man. Jesus, the speaker, he is a Jewish man. And the first Christians in every single one of these towns were Jewish people. As Paul, he preached the gospel in the synagogues, first of all. And the claims of these churches is that they are Jewish people trusting the Jewish Messiah, but they have now included some Gentiles as part of the people of God. And when you read this uh, verse here, don't think of Christians as the powerful people saying hateful things about a, a marginalized Jewish community, maybe in medieval Europe or sadly in parts of London still today, um, I suspect this verse probably has been used to do harm and hurt powerless Jewish people, which is wrong, and is as wrong as the situation then when Jewish people were more powerful than Christians in Smyrna and were causing Christians to suffer. And the, um, the background here, it's almost certainly about what was legal and what was illegal in the Roman Empire. So in the Roman Empire, Judaism was legal, it was tolerated by the government, and had an exemption. You didn't have to worship the emperor. 
And Christianity, it grew out of Judaism, birthed and led and developed entirely by Jewish men and Jewish women, and wanted the same freedom. So everybody in this verse wants to be Jewish. They wanted the freedom not to be imprisoned, not to be beaten up, and not to be killed. So probably the slander that Jesus has in mind is as people left the synagogue and joined the church, sadly it was possible for the synagogue to point at them and say, no, 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 they are not um, following the Jewish religion. They shouldn't be tolerated. Lock them up. And sadly, we see it in Acts several times. It is Paul's um, closest friends, uh, the Pharisees he'd have known well, his brothers. They're the ones who call the police on him and have him taken away. And Jesus, he knows. He knows um, then, he knows now, he knows the threats to their freedom and their life. Jesus knows all about the church all over the world. Uh, We prayed for, for Yemen, didn't we? Jesus knows the places where to go to church is to risk death. The places where to choose Jesus is to lose your parents or your job or your country. Um, Do you take a a prayer diary today? Just um, turn to the mission partner page and count how many people that we can't give a surname to or a country to because it was and it is dangerous to follow Jesus and he knows. But his knowledge, we said last week, it doesn't mean that he takes the suffering away. It's not like um, Jesus uh, is not paying attention And then some bad things happened while he wasn't watching. And uh, now he's been made aware of it. He'll get right on it and make it stop. No, Jesus, he, he knew all the way through. And he knows what is coming next. He says, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Uh, Remember, in Revelation, numbers have symbolic meaning. It's probably not a literal 10 days. It's a a period of time. It's saying it will be long and painful, but it will have a definite end. Jesus knows, and he sees to the end of the suffering. And so the command to them is to be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And I don't think it's any accident that the um, verse 10 statement there, but also the hello in verse 8 and the see you in verse 11, they all talk about death. They all say Jesus, he is good with death. He is the one who died and came to life again. He will give you life. And then crucially, look at the end of the letter. There are two deaths in the book of Revelation. There's the first death that some of these Christians are going to find inside a prison in Smyrna, and that everyone actually in history is always found either at the uh, end of a sword or the bottom of an ocean or in bed at the end of a terrible disease. And all of those deaths, the ends of our natural lives, those are the first death. And Smyrna is told, don't fear your first death. What really matters, says Jesus, is what happens at the end, is the second death. When Jesus returns and all of those not in his book of life are judged for their rejection of him and they go into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And I don't know if you've known 
Christians who've really had to face up to this. I'm honoured to know Ben Quashi. Um, I don't want to claim too close a friendship with him, but we've, we've travelled together, we've spoken together several times, and he's a, a good friend to All Souls, loves and cares about All Souls. He's the person I know best who has led a church, leads a church in a situation of great danger. He's the Anglican Archbishop of Jos in Nigeria. And um, you talk to him about this, and he says, well, we've all got to die of something. Why not die? Why not die for something good? So you ask um, Ben what his uh, ministry trainee program is all about, what he would say to serving partners who sign up uh, after the service to help. What are we going to teach you? He'd say, oh, we teach them to die. That's his plan. He says, people from all over Nigeria want to make clergy from Joss into bishops because we've trained them to die. Once you're willing to die... You can do anything. So um, maturity, maturity is good and wisdom is good. And I drive differently now. I'm not trying to die on the roads, I promise. But in the Christian life, there is no need to fear the first death. And, And actually, there is a kind of caution and fear that prevents us from being faithful. And there is a kind of fearless trust in Jesus and in his promise that the second death will not hurt us at all, that enables Christians to serve him whatever happens. Now, I I don't think that All Souls is yet in a, a Smyrna situation, though people in this room would be in their home country, I'm sure. But the attitude that Jesus commands to Smyrna, that would help us, wouldn't it? Help us to speak bravely to anyone. Help us own the name of Jesus, uh, even if that becomes illegal and not tolerated. Remember, Jesus said, don't fear those who can only kill the body. Isn't that a liberating way to think? All they can do is kill me. And Jesus, Jesus, he is good with death. So I'm with him.